0: Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. We're in a series called Walking with Christ Through the Gospel of Mark. Let's go to our Bibles, however you're using that. You may have an actual, literal, physical Bible, or maybe you're looking online. Either way, let's go to... The Gospel of Mark, and that's the 12th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Now, I want to set this up today uh, very quickly by reading from Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Now I will sing to my beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it, and gathered out the stones thereof, and planted it with the choicest vine, and built a tower in the midst of it, and also made a winepress therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down." And I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned, nor dig, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression, for righteousness, but behold, a cry. Now, let's go to Mark chapter 12, and you will see why I read that parable of the vineyard in Isaiah chapter 5. In Mark 12, we are following Jesus from where he was in Mark 11 in the temple, in his own house. Jesus is God in the temple, his own house, when all the things that we're going to see are occurring. It's a continuous encounter that doesn't stop in chapter 11. It goes right into chapter 12 while he's still there in his own house, the temple in Jerusalem. And he began to speak unto them by parables. A certain man planted a vineyard and set an hedge about it and digged a place for the wine fat, and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country, And at the season he sent to the husbandman a servant that he might receive from the husbandman of the fruit of the vineyard. And they caught him and beat him and sent him away empty. And again, he sent to them another servant. And at him, they cast stones and wounded him in the head and sent him away shamefully handled. And again, he sent another and him they killed and many others, beating some and killing some. Having yet, therefore, one son, his well-beloved, he sent him also last unto them, saying, They will reverence my son. But those husbandmen said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance shall be ours. And they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. "'What shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do? "'He will come and destroy the husbandman "'and give the vineyard unto others. "'And have ye not read this scripture? "'The stone which the builders rejected "'is become the head of the corner. "'This was the Lord's doing, "'and it is marvelous in our eyes.'" and they sought to lay hold on him but feared the people for they knew that he had spoken the parable against them and they left him and went their way Jesus harkens back to Isaiah 5 using that same basic parable but he focuses here on the leadership of the Jewish people at that time the chief priests, the elders, the scribes, all of those people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and they, they knew that he told the parable about them. You see, the servants who were sent in this parable were the prophets, like Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel and so on. And the prophets were, uh, their message was essentially rejected, on on average by the Jewish nation. And so in the parable, the owner of the parable sends his son, that would be Jesus Christ, and the son is rejected. If you want a basic breakdown, I'm going to give you several here, of Mark chapter 12 so that it just makes a little more sense because there's a lot in here. You might call it the presentation of the king, where Jesus comes in Mark 11, uh, riding on the donkey. He presents himself as the king of the Jewish people, the rightful king. And then we see, uh, mainly here in chapter 12, confrontation with the king. And then finally, it leads to a rejection of the king and his crucifixion. So what can we call this chapter? Well, you could call it hypocrites and hypotheticals. And you'll see why I say that as we go forward, I kind of call it, uh, God is in his own house. You know, is, is God in the house? Well, yes, he is. He's in the temple. That's the, the place of God. It should be right. But Jesus is in the temple and look at all that he runs into. So he, gives the parable of the vineyard, and instead of repenting, which would be a great idea, they rejected him, and uh, they kind of huddle up somewhere, and they come back again. Because what they're trying to do here now, in verses 13 to 17, is uh, spring a political trap on Jesus and we're going to see that they're going to give him a Hobson's choice. Uh, that th- They think, you know, they've sat around saying, what question can we ask that if we say this, he has to say this? And they thought they had it. Let me tell you what. If, if you ever think that you're smarter than God, boy, are you in for a rude awakening and they thought they had a perfect question for the lord jesus christ that would trap him and then they could accuse him and get rid of him so we see here that two groups are now joined together the pharisees and the herodians and we'll read that in a minute but the pharisees as i've mentioned before you know started out as bible believing conservatives they really 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 believed in God and the scripture and that was sincere you know at first but uh, they and they still believed in God at this point in the scripture but they've gotten way off track into tradition and politics and so forth and now we see them showing up with the Herodians the Herodians were Jewish, Leaders and people who, um, I, I don't know, you might liken them to collaborators with the Nazis in France during World War II. Instead of, uh, the, you know, some of the French, instead of resisting the Nazis, said, well, you know, if they're going to rule France, uh, let's get in on it, you know. So that's what kind of what the Herodians were doing with the Romans, because the Romans controlled Israel. So they said, well, Uh, let's feather our nest. You know, we can't change it. We're going to make the best of it. Um, Anyway, I want you to remember this saying. It's a Russian saying. You've heard it before. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. So the Pharisees on any normal day would have hated the Herodians. But because they had a common enemy of Jesus, now they're willing to work together. So let's read in Mark 12, verses 13 through 17. And they send unto him certain of the Pharisees and of the Herodians to catch him in his words. And when they were come, they said to him, Master, we know that thou art true and carest for no man. For thou regardest not the person of men, but teachest the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? This was the brilliant question they thought they had come up with. Notice the flattery that they are are putting in front of Jesus. And if anybody tells you how great you are, you need to just go ahead and ask them, what do you want? because they're they're trying to flatter you to get their way. Well, here, all of these things they said, they didn't really believe that. It was just flattery. So they're flattering him, and then they present that false dilemma of, uh, you know, hey, should we pay taxes to the Romans or not? And they, they figured this, I, the way I think about it. They figured if he said yes, it would anger the Jewish people, and if he said no, it would... It would get them in trouble with the him in trouble with the Roman government that controlled Israel. So they thought, you know, it doesn't matter what he says, we've got him. Now I want to tell you something, friends. Um, in college, I was was going to be a teacher way back, like a high school teacher, and my specialty was history and government and that kind of thing. And I'm here to tell you. This whole idea that deep state is not new. And I think really a better description of deep state is elite state. Like the, the leadership of countries always seem to think they're better than the people. That's very common. And although every country has a government, there's often a government within the government. A few years ago, I told my family that that I felt that there was a government within our government. I had no idea until what we've seen in the last uh, two or three years. But the whole idea of a deep state that's working for nefarious purposes is not new. And we see it here where you have the Pharisees and the Herodians working together trying to trap Jesus. So the question is, is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Those are the only two choices. Verse 15, shall we give or shall we not give? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said unto them, Why tempt ye me? Bring me a penny that I may see it. And they brought it, and he saith unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? And they said unto him, Caesar's. And Jesus answering said unto them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. He didn't fall into their trap. He knew that there was another answer other than the one uh, the two that they had given him here. So uh, they tuck their tails and scurry away. But all of Jesus's opponents are not done. Verse 18, Then come unto him the Sadducees. Now let me stop right here. The Pharisees that we saw just a moment ago are Bible-believing, you know, believe in God, angels, the resurrection, believe the Bible is the Word of God, what we might call religious conservatives today, the Sadducees, I'll give you an example, and we're going to see it here. They did not believe, for example, that there would ever be a resurrection of people. They said, you live, and when you die, you're dead. That's it. There's nothing more. Sound familiar? But they were religious. I mean, they were deeply involved in the the, uh, leadership of the Jewish religion, At this time, one way to little trick here is kind of corny, but it will help you to remember the difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees is the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. So they were sad, you see. And you will never forget that from now on. So we're going to see, though, that that's that's the thing they're arguing with Jesus about. They uh, they said they believed in God, but you know what? I think they really didn't. I think religion was just a racket or a gig for these guys. Um, If they actually believed God existed, He he was remote and yeah, whatever. You know, that's kind of how I think they looked at it. And uh, they certainly did not believe in the resurrection. They did not believe in angels. they believe, I think I have this correct. They did not believe in the traditions of the elders, only in the, I think, the book of Moses and so forth, whereas the Pharisees believed in the traditions of the elders. I hope I didn't get that backwards. But anyway, there were, there were two different religious leadership groups within the leadership of the Jewish religion and therefore the Jewish nation at this time just like our government today. It's exactly the same. The parallels are uncanny. They're striking. They're obvious parallels to what we see today. So anyway, the Sadducees come back in verse 18. Then come unto him the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection. And they ask him, saying, Master, Moses wrote unto us, If a man's brother die, and leave his wife behind him, and leave no children, that his brother should take his wife, and raise up seed unto his brother. Now there were seven brethren, and the first took a wife, and dying left no seed. And the second took her, and died, neither left he any seed. And the third likewise. And the seven had her, and left no seed. Last of all, the woman died also. In the resurrection, therefore, when they shall rise... Whose wife shall she be of them? For the seven had her to wife. What a ridiculous scenario. Wow. Anyway, that's the best they could come up with. Verse 24. And Jesus answering said unto them, Do ye not therefore err because ye know not the scriptures, neither the power of God? In other words, you're, you're, guys, you are getting this all wrong because A, you don't know your Bible, and B, you don't really know the power of God. Verse 25: For when they shall rise from the dead, and Jesus is saying here, there will be a resurrection. For when they shall rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels which are in heaven. Now, he didn't say we become angels. Angels are their own order of created beings that serve God. And, of course, the demons are the one-third of the angels which rebelled with Lucifer. But he says you will, you will be as the angels. So angels aren't married. They don't marry. And when, let's say we're married today. When we rise in the resurrection, we, marriage will not be part of heaven or the kingdom. Now, for most people who love their spouse, you may say, well, that's just terrible news. Well, as great as marriage is, whatever God has for us in heaven will be greater than anything we know now. So don't worry about that, and there may be some few people out here who don't get along with their spouse, and maybe you're breathing a sigh of relief. <laughs> Put me in the first camp, by the way. I, I love my wife. All right, so heaven is not going to be exactly like life is on earth. Well, well, what will it be? I don't know exactly. It will be like the angels, and it will be better than anything we could possibly know here. Anyway, Jesus refutes them seven ways to Sunday right here, so they spring or try to spring on a here a theological trap. So the Pharisees were hypocrites. Well, these guys bring the hypotheticals, this silly question they have. You know, it's a sort of like the a, the question in the Middle of the Ages of how many angels can dance on a the head of a a little pin, like a sewing needle, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> There's no way to answer that. Well, this is that kind of question. In my opinion, the Sadducees and many religious liberals today who claim to love God, love his word, and love the Lord Jesus, but I have my doubts, they, they spend way too much time disproving, trying to disprove the Bible, Hey, wouldn't it just be simpler to really love God, really love the Lord Jesus Christ, and just really love His Word like we should? It's a thought. So if you're going to that kind of church, you need to get out of that, and you need to get into a church which makes no apology for believing in God. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. The power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Word of God you need to get into a Bible-believing church. I'm not going to tell you which one, but if you if your heart is writing, you seek one, God will guide you. But if you're in a religious organization that's filled with this kind of stuff, leave it yesterday, baby. Get where Jesus is loved and honored and His Word is loved and honored. So... They bring this ridiculous scenario, and he knocks it out of the park, verse 26, and is touching the dead, that they rise. So again, he, he, he does endorse the idea there will be a resurrection. Have ye not read in the book of Moses how in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. ye therefore do greatly err. <laughs> so Jesus, Jesus uh, doesn't fall into the political trap or the theological trap. He just completely humiliates these guys. So they took their tail and run off. All right, verse 28. And one of the scribes came. Now, who are all these people, right? The Pharisees and Sadducees. The Pharisees were typically uh, often, you know, business owners, shop owners, on farms, that kind of thing. They were not... Uh, so-called religious professionals as much as the scribes. The scribes were the lawyers of the day. Um, they were involved in the religion. They, we owe them a great debt because they carefully uh, protected the truth of the Word of God and transferred it to us. They even counted the number of letters and so forth in a line of scripture to make sure that they were not making errors just extreme efforts they went to to copy the word of god and it is truly amazing if you will study that so that was good and they they knew the letter of the law like nobody's business i mean they really did so they were lawyers when people had uh, to sell land and needed a title to it and you Know documents and so forth, these scribes were the people that helped with this. And we know there's uh good lawyers and there's some bad lawyers, <laughs> so and it reminds me that that probably the Pharisees and the Herodians and the Sadducees should have got the counsel of the scribes before they tried to trap Jesus. Because you remember the old saying that a uh a, a good lawyer always knows the correct answer to any question before the question is asked. You know, and, and a lawyer should never ask a question in court that he doesn't already know the correct true answer to because he can, uh, he can have it turned back on himself with uh, getting a witness that says something that he wasn't counting on. So they should have asked the scribes, but they didn't do that. So anyway, this scribe is here, Now I like this one. Uh, verse 28, And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt Now, notice that he didn't ask about the the two greatest commandments. He only asked about one, right? Which is the first commandment of all. But Jesus, Jesus, wow, verse 31, And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Well, Master, Thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, He said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that durst ask him any question. I want to ask you a question today. How close are you to the kingdom of God? Now, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I mean, really, really, you're saved. You're in the kingdom of God. But if you're a religious person and you're not sure you're saved or you know that you're not saved, you make no profession to belong to Christ, how, how close are you to the kingdom of God? Well, Pastor Ed, I'm, I'm really far away. You need to come to Christ today. He's waiting for you. And many of you who are sincerely seeking him, like this scribe, you're very close to the kingdom of God, as evidenced by listening to this podcast or, or similar programs or reading the Bible. You are seeking God, and you're not far from the kingdom of God. But what you need to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. So Jesus commends this man. I feel like, this is just my opinion, that once Christ was crucified, dead, buried, and resurrected, that probably this scribe was among the first to trust in Christ. That's just my opinion. Verse 35, And Jesus answered and said, while he taught in the temple, How say the scribes? that Christ is the son of David. And I take this here to mean that the scribes were teaching that, that the Messiah, the son of David, would be a, a, literally the physical son of David, and only that, but a great political leader, and would free the, the Jewish people from the Roman government, that he would be like David, a warrior, in a, just a plain, human, typical sense of that. And as they only saw the, the uh, Christ that would come from David as a just a son, like a human son. But Jesus has a question then. For David himself said by the Holy Ghost, in so other words, he was inspired by God to say or to write what he wrote here. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies Thy footstool. David therefore himself calleth him Lord. In whence is he then his son? And the common people heard him gladly. So this predicted son of David, this Messiah, this Christ, would be far more than just a human son. He would actually be the Savior of the Jewish people. Jesus is trying to get them to see here that that he is not only a descendant of David, but that he is God come in human form to save them. And Jesus opened the scriptures in a way that the, the average person loved listening to the teaching of Jesus Christ. He was completely unlike the Pharisees, Sadducees, the chief priests, the elders, the scribes, and all of that. And they loved hearing him teach. So, basically here, we see some spiritual truth that they should be looking for not a human warrior, you know, just a a son of David, but they should be looking for a savior, which would, of course, be him. And I think, hopefully, uh, people were beginning to, to realize this. So, we come now to verse 38. And he said unto them in his doctrine, Beware of the scribes, which love to go in long clothing, and love salutations in the marketplace and the chief seats in the synagogues and the uppermost rooms at feast, which devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, these shall receive greater damnation. Jesus didn't have much to say about how the scribes were living and conducting themselves, and they used their Religion as a, a cover or a cloak for some of the deeds they were doing, like, uh, you know, evicting widows from their homes. Oh, man, you know, so he, he delivers spiritual truth here. And uh, it's, it's just amazing the difference between the Lord Jesus Christ and the religious leadership that surrounded him in his own house, the temple. Now, here's a little quote for you I learned many years ago. It doesn't matter how high you jump when you get saved, it's how straight you walk when you come down. <laughs> I like that. So, how do you how do you test someone's actual belief? Well, with what they do. You know, what what they actually Uh, What they believe will come out in how they live. That's a different way to say what I just said. And Jesus does something here that I just find astonishing. We're we're only literally a few days from him being arrested, tried, uh, condemned, beaten, crucified, dead, buried, and rising again. And you would think, what, what does he do with these last hours before all of this happens? Well, this is pretty amazing. Verse 41 in Mark 12. And Jesus sat over against the treasury. So what he did is he, he sat somewhere opposite where people came and put in their, their coins and gifts and so on in the temple. Well, I didn't know God really cares about what we give, Brother Ed. Well, apparently he does. Uh, deal with it. And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. And many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples, and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. Wow, what a picture. Jesus, with all of this going on around him and everything that lies ahead of him, he just stops and sits near where people put in their offerings. Let's put it in our terms. He watches the offering plate when it's passed. He does? That's what we're talking about right here. And, it, and what we do with our money, you know, our checkbook, our credit card transactions, that shows what we really believe, Right? Why is it getting so quiet here? (laughs) Jesus watches how we give. Now, the point he makes here is that, you know, the rich people, you know, they had a surplus and they were given a little bit out of a lot. Big deal. But this poor widow has nothing and she gave everything she had. This gives us an insight into the values of heaven. God doesn't have the same measuring stick that we have. Say, well, what about the widow? I mean, she gave away everything she had. You know, those evil religious uh teachers on TV, you know, taking the money of widows, and boy, you know, hey, why did she do this? Because she had faith. She had faith that just as God says in his word, that he's the husband of the of the widow and the father of the of the orphan, that God would take care of her. And you know what? although we're not told the details here, God saw her do this because Jesus saw it, right? So, well, how did it go with her? I'm sure it went well because she was trusting God, and I believe God took care of her. And we're talking today, 2,000 years later, about what she did. This is a great woman right here. We should be a whole lot more like this widow. Well, we've come to the end of Mark 12, and we're going in our next episode to Mark 13, and we're going to get into the betrayal of Christ, his trials and crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection, and his ascension back to heaven with the promise that he's coming again. That's coming up here as we get to Mark 13. I thank you so much for listening in to this week in the Word. I hope it's been a blessing to you. Invite others to listen as well. Just have them go directly to www.dredhill.podbean.com. And remember that 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 doctor part, the DR, has no period after it. So it's just dredhill.podbean.com. The app can be downloaded for free. It's always free to listen. Tell your friends, neighbors, and family about it, your coworkers. Let's get the Word of God out to the world who needs Jesus. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in our next episode. God bless.